Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, feline friends. This is Michelle Fern, your host on Catitude. All right, when you think about cats and cat books, who should you be thinking about? My next guest, because she is a best-selling author and she's written some amazing books about cats. We'll be right back. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. When we put him on the Dynavite, he took right to it. All of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Something that he actually likes to eat. You need to put him on Dynavite. Dynavite for life. If you love your dog, you don't just want him healthy, you want him to be happy. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to introduce Gwen Cooper. She's a best-selling New York Times author, and we're going to talk about her new book, My Life in a Cat House. Welcome, Gwen. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Well, thanks for being here. And I read the title of your book and I thought, oh, yeah, that feels like me. And I'm sure many of my listeners are like, yeah, um, this is not my house. It's the cat house. And I just live here, you know, with them. So I love the title. But let's talk a little bit about you. You've written six books. How did it all start? Well, actually, my first book had nothing at all to do with cats. Uh, it was a novel about South Beach. And once that had been published, I was, you know, started thinking, of course, about a second book. And at around that same time, I read an article in the paper about a library cat in Iowa named Dewey, who had recently passed away and whose human caretakers were, were planning to write a memoir about him. And that was sort of when the light bulb went on over my head. I, I don't know that it would necessarily have occurred to me that, that you could write a book about your cat and, or, you know, but once I, you know, the idea did occur to me, I thought, well, I mean, there are lots of people who love cats and presumably some of those people like to read books about cats. And so I wrote that first book. It was called Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat. And it was a memoir about my blind cat, Homer. And it did very well. And uh, the rest uh, sort of spiraled out from there. Well, that's an interesting start. Let's talk about your current book, My Life in a Cat House. And currently, if I got the correct info or read it correctly, you have two cats, right? Right now I have two cats, yes. Although this book covers uh, the five cats who I have lived with over the last uh, 20 some odd years. Wow. What made you, rather than just write a story about your current cats, because it's a book and it's almost like little stories about each cat. What made you decide to go in in that road versus just talking about a particular cat? You know, your cat now. Yeah. So I like to think of it as a memoir in stories. And, you know, part of it was because Homer's Odyssey did so well. And so there were a lot of people who had read about Homer and wanted to know more about Homer. 
And then also there were, um, you know, people who knew the other two cats who appeared in that book. I would say sort of as supporting characters because it really was Homer's story. So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into their individual stories and to show a little bit of Homer's life kind of after Homer's Odyssey was published. And then, of course, there are the two cats I have now, um, who Homer also overlapped with and, and who have plenty of stories in their own right. And so it really just became a, a collective. It was an idea that it was going to be a story about a life with cats and, and their individual quirks and foibles and personalities. So it, it sort of grew out of the idea of wanting to dive a little deeper in, into some of the other, you know, quote-unquote characters, let's say, who appeared in Homer's Odyssey and, and grew from there. Well, one of the things that I thought was great is that you did dive into their different quirks and personalities because so many people that are either new to, you know, being a pet parent or haven't really made the leap yet or maybe just have one think that all cats are basically like that. Like, well, I'll give you an example. My first cat was Dennis and like most people, (laughs) you know, he found me. And he's part right. Maine Coon, friendly, super nice, and this. And I thought, I remember telling my neighbor, I said, I have a great cat. Why, well, your cat's just, uh, you know, I, told, I said, Not the a word, great cat. I said the word <laughs> biatch, you know? I said, your cat's yes. just nasty, you know what? She said, no, your cat's different. My cat's like most cats. And then once I acquired some of the others, I realized, yes, they do have their individual quirks and personalities. And I think that having become, I was a dog person first. And, you know, you could tell the dog personalities, I think, easier or they're more apparent than cat personalities. So that's what yeah, I thought. I mean, having, right? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, having grown up with dogs um, and lived with dogs, basically, let's say, for the first half of my life, I mean, they definitely have their individual personalities, but I would say that they ultimately were much more similar to each other in terms of how they interacted with each other, with us, with our, you know, with the human members of our family. Cats really do have very individual and specific personalities. And, uh, you know, certainly all five of my cats have definitely had very individual and different personalities. I think people who don't know cats well have an idea that there is a certain stereotypical type of cat personality. And there are certain stereotypical cat behaviors. But in terms of personalities, they they really are all very different from each other. Yes, that's exactly, you said it much better. That's exactly what I meant. (laughs) There is a stereotype and there's a little truth to it, but most like most stereotypes, but for the most part, nah, you have to dig deeper. They're a lot different than they, than they seem to be. What I'd like to do or ask you is for people that may not have read all your books, can you give us like a little rundown on all five? Just a little, you know, synopsis of who they are. Let me me see if I can think of them all right now. All right. So there is um, (laughs) Homer's Odyssey. And Homer's Odyssey is a memoir about my blind cat, Homer, who was just an amazing, extraordinary, heroic cat who actually saved me saved my life one night. A man broke into my apartment and Homer chased him out. And that is one dramatic story among many in the memoir. Um, So that is my first cat book. Uh, There's also a sequel to Homer's Odyssey called The Ninth Life of a Blind Wonder Cat. Um, There is uh, Homer and the Holiday Miracle, which came out last year. And and that's that's kind of like a little stocking stuffer book. It's just a um, 
a holiday story about Homer. It, it's maybe 40 or 50 pages. It's, you know, like I said, a little 999 kind of hardcover stocking stuffer with a really nice cover, very festive holiday cover. And there is My Life in a Cat House, which just came out recently, which we've been discussing. And uh, the other one's like, what is the other one? The other one is Love Saves the Day. Thank you. My husband is here. <laughs> and we are in a hotel in Miami. I'm here for my mom's 75th birthday. My husband is reminding me, yes, Love Saves the Day, which is a novel that is narrated from the point of view of a rescue tabby named Prudence, who actually based very closely on my cat, Scarlet. And Scarlet was a very persnickety, opinionated little cat. And so Prudence is also kind of persnickety and, and opinionated, but ultimately, I think, very endearing. Certainly, if you love cats, uh, again, Jay, I think she has a lot of qualities that, that cat lovers will recognize. And uh, yeah, so, so that is um, sort of the Agassiz catalog of my cat books. Okay, and the cats, you have Homer, Scarlet, Prudence, and Yashti still? Well, Prudence is a fictional cat. So, so I never had a cat named Prudence, but uh, my original three cats were Scarlet, Vashti, and Homer. And uh, now I have Clayton and Fanny. Okay, and I thought some of the stories inside my cat house were hysterical. And we're going to take a real short break and we'll be right back and talk about more in depth of my life in the cat house. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey everyone, Michelle Fern here. I have discovered a great brand called Dr. Elsie's. They are truly focused on your cat. One of their mottos is we've always put ourselves in our pet's paws. I just love that. And did you know the number one behavioral reason that cats are either abused, abandoned, or returned to shelters is doing their number ones and number twos outside the litter box? Yep. And let me tell you, I have been dealing with that for quite a while with one of my kitties, Charlotte. I have a multi-cat household like so many of you. And no matter what I tried, she refuses to use the litter box. And I have tried everything. Nothing worked. And then I found out about Dr. Elsie's Cat Attract. Now, most cats are not that picky, but almost every household has a Charlotte and that cat will be persnickety about using the litter box with other cats. Well, Dr. Elsie's Cat Attract is a product that helps bring cats like my persnickety Charlotte back to using the box. And Dr. Elsie's is so positive that you will love their product. They're going to offer a rebate and pay up to $20 for your first bag of any Dr. Elsie's litter. You can visit drelsies.com slash catitude and print out the rebate form or fill it out online. I will also have it on my Instagram, which is at catitude17. Give Dr. Elsie's Cat Attract Litter a shot. You will not regret it. Happy cat, mom. Happy cat. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of My Life in a Cat House and several other books, especially her book featuring Homer, the blind cat, who's um, something of a miracle cat. So you have to check out her books. And I'll tell you more about where you can find her books at the end of the show. But 
Okay, Gwen, let's talk about some of the stories in、um, my life in a cat house. Of course, I read about Scarlet, and、uh, one of the things that I thought was hysterical was the cat toy issue because it's so true. And I actually just did a show on cat toys and DIY cat toys, and it, it seems like a constant. You could buy whatever you want to buy, but what would they like the best? An open bag, a box, or crumpled paper? Yeah, you know, although I will say, my, see, my first three cats, I mean, speaking to individual cat personalities, my first three cats really had me convinced. That it, that it was a, a scam industry, the, the cat toys industry, because cats do not like toys. And my first three cats, they really were much more enraptured with the bag that the toys would come in or with the, you know, the crumpled up receipt,、uh, the wrappers, as opposed to the toys themselves.、Um, but I will say that Clayton and Fanny, who are littermates and those are the cats who,、uh, who own us now, love. Store bought toys, love them, and just go nuts. And, you know, I try to ration them out, but if they see me walk in with a bag, they give me no peace until every toy in the bag.、Uh, just like little kids, they want them all. They get very excited. There's like a three or four day period where they can't leave the toys alone, and then they're tired of them and ready for new toys. But they do love store bought toys、um, to an extent that I didn't think cats did until they came to live with us. So, it, it, you know, it's again one of those things that really does vary, I think, from cat to cat. Yeah, I have a, mine have a kind of a mix. I think once in a while they'll play with him, other times, eh. And then, right. What about catnip? I have one that I have to like keep in a drawer that you cannot open. That's really hard to open. He'll find it any way possible. And I have the, the others that, like, eh, okay, catnip. Yeah, you know, they say that there are, there's a certain percentage of cats who just do not respond to catnip. I have never lived with such a cat. All my cats, to varying degrees, have been really interested in catnip. Uh, Clayton, who I have now, and Homer, who, who is Clayton's big brother. You know, we still had Homer with us when we adopted Clayton and Fanny. And Clayton and Homer in particular are, are just like catnip junkies. It's, it's a little frightening. I always say, you know, if I scatter some catnip on the ground, it's, it's only a matter of time before Clayton sort of looks like Al Pacino at the end of Scarface, you know, which is like catnip all over his, <laughs> his snout. <laughs> and,、uh, it gets a little,、uh, it's, it's a little scary, you know, I, I don't want him to get. Too wacky on the nip, but he's definitely really into it. Well, I had a situation once where we were coming back from a show and I didn't unpack everything and I forgot that there was catnip, some catnip samples in the bag. And next day I walked into my office and I thought, what the heck? Because, you know, catnip looks a little bit like weed. And sure, we don't have weed in my house. It's not legal yet in Florida. There's no weed here. And it looked like someone, you know, opened, I was like pot all over the floor, but it was really catnip. But I don't even know how they got, he got into it. It was Dennis, because Dennis is the mischievous one. So he just got into it. It was all over. And I thought, oh my gosh, I thought it was under the bag. I, it was tied. I thought it was safe. No. And, if, and he opens drawers too. So if it's not in a drawer that's hard to open, he will get it. So that's, that's some funny things about cats. No, it's, it's certainly a way to get in trouble, trouble while traveling, by the way. It's、yes, <laughs> just having、course. a large bag of catnip in, in your you know, carry on and、uh, seeing what they say at security. In reading my life in a cat house and reading all the, you know, the different,、uh, you know, like you said, is different you know, personalities and how you know, exciting it can be living with a cat and just how they're wonderful and, and all of that, it seems like a great book to kind of 
I wouldn't say convinced, but maybe someone who's on the fence decide, you know, I should adopt a cat. And a lot of people that love cats read cat books. You know, cat people, as I put, quote, cat people are all about cats. They'll read, read about cats, watch cats, anything about cats. But I also think your book, especially My Life in a Cat House, is a great book for someone that doesn't have cats and maybe just likes them but is not ready to adopt, whatever, because it's so interesting and it's so funny. Was that some of your thought behind writing it? Well, I wasn't necessarily trying to convince people who may not live with cats or may think that they don't like cats that they should do either of those things. But I do ultimately think that, I mean, the relationships that that we have with our cats are are still very human relationships. I think at the heart of any story about the human-animal bond is something really essential about being human. You know, if you, I mean, every storytelling culture, which is pretty much every culture, if you go back to their earliest stories, there are always stories about relationships between humans and animals. Some of those are, you know, fantastical stories. Some of those are more grounded in reality, but there's something very essentially human about the bonds that we form with with other animals, including cats. And so I do think ultimately at the heart of these stories, although they are very cat-centric, is something very human and very relatable and, and that it speaks to relationships and, you know, and love and, and all of the ups and downs that come with that. Whether or not you are a person who has lived with a cat or who loves cats, I, I still think hypothetically if you were to read this book, you would find something relatable in it just because it, it deals with love and relationships. Again, I was not necessarily trying to persuade anybody that they should like cats, but I think that any good story about animals ultimately should speak to to something very human, you know, not necessarily having anything to do with animals. I think what I was trying to, I think to put it in a better, uh, say it a little better, it's the type of book that even if you're not, quote, cat person, you know, and we know the stereotype, you know, they say crazy cat lady, crazy cat dude, you yeah. know, whatever. It's a great book for anyone that likes to read. It's written so well. It's funny. It just dives into, you know, the personalities. And I read a good part of the book because I happen to get like four in the same week. And but like yours best because <laughs> it was so interesting. And so I wanted to ask you about two things. And one was right in the beginning of the book. What did you do when and when Scarlett chewed off your hair? I thought, oh, my God, if that <laughs> happened to me, I was. And, you know, sometimes you don't know what they're doing. And what did she do when you chewed off the, your hair? And I can relate to the black and blues you get from cats because Molly likes to step all over me. And I'll look at my legs and go, what the heck? So yeah, no, Scarlet. So Scarlet was my first cat, and um, and again, I I had grown up in a household with dogs, and you know, I, I always say that every dog wants to be a good dog. Scarlet had no particular interest in being a good cat, and and we definitely got off to a rocky start. Although eventually we we formed a a very deep and and tight bond. But you know, she was certainly a mischievous kitten. She liked to to trip me and make me fall down. I, I really think she thought that was funny every time I fell down. So I did have a lot of bruises initially until we established some boundaries. And she also, yeah, she she was really into chewing my hair, which uh, I have a lot of hair. And as a kid in, in petting zoos, that would always be sort of a uh, a challenge. You know, ba baby deer and, and goats would also kind of try to like just eat the hair right off my head. I'm, I'm still not sure what that's about, but um, I did notice at one point that uh, Scarlett had secretly and unbeknownst to me kind of been gnawing off like chunks of my hair from one spot 
at the back of my head. Once I discovered it, I made sure it did not happen again. But in terms of what I did, there was really nothing for me to do except wait for it to grow back, uh, which fortunately it did. Again, I, I do have a lot of hair. I want to emphasize that I have a lot of hair. <laughs> it's very thick and very curly. Okay, so nobody so, noticed you know. that you had a bald spot or anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it really was hard. I, I, I mean, maybe somebody, you know, standing behind me noticed like, huh, that one patch looks kind of thin relative to the rest of it. It was on the back of my head, so it was not anything that I noticed when I was looking in the mirror in the mornings. You know, once I noticed, once I saw that she was, you know, kind of walking away from me with a big chunk of my hair in her mouth, I, I sort of started feeling around like, you know, wait, where did that come from? And, and that was when I found this uh, definitely distinctly thinner patch of hair that she'd obviously been working on for several weeks. Oh, she was such a little, she was such a little imp. But yes, uh, the, the happy ending to that particular part of the story is that, again, because I do, and I really want to emphasize this, have a lot of hair. It did grow back <laughs> very quickly. And uh, you know, I kind of put it up in a ponytail while I was waiting for, for that to happen. It's horrible that it happened, but like you said, yeah. you had a lot of hair. But <laughs> it I, was not I, a highlight. Yeah, but I remember that. the part when you said, you know, you saw her with a chunk of hair and you got it from her and then you thought, what are you going to do? You can't like stick it back. So Right. Well, I didn't want her to eat it. You know, then I had this right. horrible idea, like, what if she's gnawing the hair off my head and eating it? And, you know, on top of, of my new bald spot, I'm also going to have a $3,000 surgery bill for the intestinal blockage that my cat has from eating the hair right off my head. So it was not a, a healthy lifestyle choice for any of us. And, uh, yes, it was something that I put a stop to once I realized she was doing it. But she, uh, you know, Scarlett ran a, a tight ship. She was a tough little kitten, but she... Uh, like I said, we eventually formed a very tight bond, mostly through the adversity that she, <laughs> that she created just through her personality. That was hysterical. And then you have another chapter, which is outside the litter box, that Yashti and the Picasso of P. Okay. Uh, so, the Picasso of P, yes, about my cat Vashti, yes. uh, who was very expressive with her urine. Let's okay. Say. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, there are any number of reasons why a cat might urinate outside the litter box. Um, I will say that Vashti, who was a rescue and, and she was very, very attached to me right from the beginning. And she, you know, she was a scraggly little kitten when I found her. I mean, she was just in, in terrible, pitiful shape. And she grew into this incredibly, incredibly gorgeous cat. I mean, it was a real ugly duckling into the beautiful swan kind of transformation. In addition to being dropped at gorgeous, she was also brilliant. She was probably the smartest animal that I've ever lived with. And, and I include with that the many dogs that my family adopted when I was growing up. And so Vashti, it wasn't so much, I mean, she did not have a continuous problem with peeing outside the litter box. She would do it to make a point. She would do it to make very specific points. She was very, very communicative in, in the, you know, timing and placement of her outside the litter box urination. And, you know, that story really kind of looks at, at Vashti's whole life through, through the prism of her, um, escapades outside of the litter box. And, you know, I, I will say at the heart of that story that I, you know, I, I particularly, I'm particularly proud of that story. And, and I think there's a lot of, of humor in it and also a lot of love. And, and it really does kind of look at Vashti's entire life. But I also think that, you know, just as someone who works in rescue, one of the most common reasons that you hear for animal surrenders or for, for cat surrenders specifically is that they're peeing outside of the litter box. And, you know, there is almost always a reason why that happens. And, you know, a lot of times if, if you kind of work with the cat, you know, rather than viewing it as, as just a bad thing the cat is doing, if you try to understand why the cat is doing what they're doing, you can usually kind of get to the root cause and 
you know, hopefully put a stop to it. So that was one story. I mean, it, it's, it's not something I really talk about in that story. It's not a story that, that tries to lecture anybody, but I did have an idea. This is one of the most common problems that the cat owners face. And um, it is something that can be worked with, you know, with love and understanding over ultimately it can be overcome. Well, I can relate because a rescue that we rescued Charlotte at four months, she Maybe she's trying to tell us something that we can't decipher yet because she's been being and pooping outside the litter box for months. We even have a litter box because she's a large cat. That's probably the size of almost like the size of a little half the size of a child's swimming pool because she's big. Wow. And everything we thought of everything and haven't discovered yet. And so she I don't know. Maybe she's trying. I don't know what she's trying to tell us. I don't know where, but we're determined we're going to keep her. We're determined to figure this out. She's um, kind of a lone wolf. She doesn't like anybody except um, my husband. So, you know, it's, we're figuring it out because that's true. There, that is one of the main reasons people will bring the cats, you know, to a shelter or just abandon sure. them. And um, absolutely, yeah, it's hard. It's no, hard. I mean, and I don't mean to minimize the problem. And, and Vashti, God bless her. And really, I, I was crazy about that little cat. I cannot even express how much I loved her, but she certainly did a, a significant damage and, you know, financial damage. There were, there were things I had to replace and they were not all inexpensive things. But I, you know, I, again, I, I do feel ultimately she was certainly worth it. it. She is one of the great loves of my life. And, um, and yeah, like I said, you know, really is the difference between, you know, with dogs, it's often a question of, of discipline or, or just straightforward anxiety. With cats, there, there really is almost always a, a reason why they're not using the litter box if they are consistently not using the litter box. And um, I, I, I have confidence that you will figure it out with your cat. Certainly sounds like you are off to a good start in trying to pinpoint the potential cause of the problem. Yep, I'm going down the checklist and there's not much left. Yes. So I'm hoping there's something <laughs> that says, because, you know, there's always so many reasons. And, you know, litter box, litter box placement, marking their, you know, there's three indoor cats in my home, marking their placement. We're going down the list. The list is getting smaller. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe by the time she's well, hopefully like... Hopefully you'll zero in on it soon. Yeah, hopefully uh, something. Okay, so when you have written a lot of great books and you've done a lot besides write, written great books for all of us to just learn more about our cats and just embrace the cat, you know, the cat world, I guess, even more. You also donate to shelters and you've spoken at various shelters. Tell me a little bit about that real quick. Sure. I mean, animal rescue is something that's always been important to me. I, you know, like I said, I, I was raised in a rescue household. And so, you know, my parents were, we were adopting our dogs from, from rescues or rescue organizations back when it was much more common to get dogs from breeders. And, and when your only shelter option, let's say, was the pound, and the pound was considered a, a sad, kind of a sad place. And so rescue has always been important to me. And then with the publication of Homer's Honesty, you know, because Homer was a special needs cat, his story found particular resonance within the rescue community. You know, anyone who's worked in rescue long enough will have a story about some special needs animal who has come their way, who's just a wonderful animal, who they know would make someone just an amazing, amazing companion, but who is consistently overlooked because they're different. As Homer was, you know, Homer came to me. I was sort of the adopter of last resort for Homer. And uh, certainly he, he was the most remarkable cat I've ever lived with. And so it's always been important to me to support 
rescue, through the work that I do, the rescue community has been certainly incredibly supportive of my work. So as a starting place, I do donate 10% of my royalties from books to organizations that serve abused, abandoned, and disabled animals. I also typically, when I have a new book out or when I'm touring to support a book, I generally, rather than going to bookstores, go to shelters. Actually, when Love Saves the Day came out in 2013, I I did a national tour of no-kill shelters, and I visited 20 different cities and about 26 different shelters across the U.S. And it's something I do frequently. I mean, at this point, I've been, it's, it's well into the triple figures, let's say, the number of shelters that I visited some in large, you know, very cosmopolitan cities and, and some in very small towns. But there's always so much love, I find, in these rescue organizations and among the volunteers and staff who work there. And it, it really, uh, you know, it, it's a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's the truth. It really is an honor and a privilege to be able to work so closely with rescuers and to support the difficult and amazing work that they do. Well, I greatly applaud you here at Catitude, at Pet Life Radio as a whole. We're so big on rescues. There's so many cats and dogs on, you know, needlessly put to sleep. Yeah. And especially cats because of how they breed and yeah. how they exist in the wild. So putting the spotlight And they also tend awareness. to do less well in a shelter environment, I would say. You know, cats tend to do less well in a shelter environment than dogs do. So when people, you know, looking to adopt a cat, come to a shelter, you know, they're, they're not necessarily seeing the cat's personality in the best light. Um, it does not shine through as easily as it does for dogs. I mean, not that a shelter environment is necessarily where you're going to see any animal's true personality, best showcase. And, and so that's also something that I, you know, like to remind people of that if you, especially if you're in an open intake shelter, or if it is something along the lines of the city town, you are not necessarily going to see the sweet and friendly and loving personality of the cat, you know, underneath the anxiety just from being in a strange place and surrounded by so many other cats. And which is also why I, I love no kill organ. And I, again, every type of rescue organization plays an important role in saving the lives of animals. Uh, what's great with no kill organizations is that they really do get to know the animals in their care and can give you a much clearer sense of, of the cat's personality than you might find from a facility where the cat has only been for two or three days. Okay, well, that's a great point for everybody looking to adopt. Go to your shelter, especially no-kill shelters. So to wrap up, where can people find your books? Sure. I mean, probably the, the best place for, uh, for all things related to my books and my writing and, and the stuff we do on social media and, and all that good stuff is my website, and that is GwenCooper.com, GwenCooper, G-W-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. And if you, there's a page that's clearly marked books, and so you can click there, and you can see the books I've written and descriptions of them and different places where you can get them. And yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's sort of a really fun cat-centric community that has grown up around the, my, the writing that I've done and, and what other people bring to that, the stories about their own cats. And uh, so I encourage, uh, encourage your listeners to check it out. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on Catitude and sharing all of your information about your latest book, My Life in the Cat House. And everyone, check out Gwen Cooper's website because I know she has another one coming out in 2020. 
So please sure, be sure to check it out. And of course, the info will be available on the homepage of this episode on Pet Life Radio. So Gwen, thank you so much for coming on Catitude. And um, I love your books. I love what you do to support the rescue community. And I just think you're amazing. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Okay, everyone, what a great author. What a great person. And even if you're not like into the cat people books, no offense to anybody, but My Life in a Cat House is a really great book. Gwen Cooper is a great author and I highly recommend it. You can go to the homepage, like I said, of of Pet Life Radio for this episode and you can find a link to our website and a little bit more about Gwen. And you can also check out, learn about her other books. I'd like to thank my cat crew that is makes my life in a cat house a lot of fun thanks to dennis and charlotte and uh, molly and my two outside or three outside the cat house because they're from you know the wild which is uh, sammy jethro and jazz so thank you all thanks to my listeners thank you for making catitude so popular and especially thanks to mark winter for making me and my guest sound great let's talk pets every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.